0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: It's in the computer. I made a heads and tails program, but it has no iterative functionality. So if you want to do a heads and tails again, you have to completely quit the program and then relaunch it just to do like a two out of three. (laughs) And welcome to the Down and Front Podcast. Thanks thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, We are reviewing the Netflix original movie, Bright... Starring a couple actors and actresses. Um, so tonight we're going to uh, work with a couple less people. Uh, the We still have the Mouth of the South. Say hi, Bryland.
0: Hello, Bryland.
1: And we still have uh, Mr. Mogamike.
0: Hey, everybody. How's it going?
1: But Warren is actually stuck, uh, ironically enough, not in a snowstorm. We are all stuck in the snowstorm. He's outside of the bubble, and so he will not be... Uh, joining us tonight uh, So if you love his silky voice uh, Sorry <laughs> That's not happening he's tonight He's stuck in
0: beautiful Pensacola, Florida Yeah,
1: seriously, he's in a way better condition I have like a foot of <laughs> snow outside of my house I hate everything um,
0: yeah. We all got our upper body uh, workout yesterday Right? <laughs> Shoveling? Well, I don't know anything <laughs> <somewhere>. about that
1: <laughs> Really? Oh. Yeah, well you
2: gotta, I live in an apartment complex So like people shovel it There are people. I
0: work at. I live in an apartment complex too. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you're that apartment's people. (laughs) I'm that guy. (laughs) Strong run is
2: the hero every apartment needs. (laughs) I try to be.
1: So uh, now that we know the uh, people that are joining us and the people that aren't joining us, uh, I guess we'll go around the table again um, and ask what have you guys been watching? What are you uh, drinking tonight? Uh, I guess we'll start with mocha.
2: Yeah, so as for what I'm drinking tonight, I swung by my nearest liquor store and picked up a bottle of Hoshi Sake, um, I don't know why, well I do not know why I picked sake, it was the cheapest thing they had, um, and it tastes about as much as I paid for it. So, uh-huh. Hoshi Sake, don't drink it unless you're broke. Um, <laughs> aside from that, as for what I've been watching, I've recently been watching the Grand Tour on Amazon. Um, Amazon recently came out with their uh, Apple TV slash Smart TV app. And fortunately, my roommate's Smart TV uh, supports Amazon Prime. Um, so rather than running it through our Apple TV, which doesn't put output in 4K, we've been running it through there. And that's like one of the few things they have on streaming that you can see in 4K. Um, it, fortunately, it's a good one. There are a lot of like, re- There's a lot of really beautiful camera work and drone footage in the Grand Tour. But ultimately... It's Top Gear, um, just with a different name. Same guys, same hijinks, same uh, same kind of feel. Um, and yeah, it feels good being able to watch it.
0: I'd say yeah. watching that uh, Czech electric sports car drive around is just like a thing of beauty.
2: I don't think I saw the episode with the
0: electric Czech, electric sports car. <laughs> the Czech electric supercar? You know, uh, Spoiler alert. It's amazing. Uh, look out for it. It's cool.
2: I will say this, it's very possible that I did see it and just didn't know what I was looking at. I know jack shit about cars. <laughs> My roommate is a huge uh, car head, so he's the one who's like super into everything going on. And I'm usually just there to like watch the wheel spin. Um, but it's been good
0: so far. It's
1: awesome. Uh, Mouth of the South, Browland.
0: Yeah, so what I'm sipping on right now is a main root beer uh, made painstakingly by the man himself, Stephen King, because he's the only person I know from Maine. But uh, Maine Root Beer is a great root beer. It's probably gone up to be one of my second favorite root beers out there right after IBC Root Beer. So, I highly recommend it. It's really good. Uh, What I've been watching recently has been a documentary series on Netflix called the Toys That Made Us. It's four 30 minute episodes about uh, some toys that kind of like change the industry and change the game about what are toys as well. And they start off with Star Wars toys right off the bat, but it also covers uh, Barbie and G.I. Joe and He Man. So I, I had a lot of fun watching it. Uh, it's uh, really cool because you get some really cool insights into the people behind who made these uh, products possible, but also just their culture impact as well. That um, Kenner was like a nobody company in the Midwest until they said, Hey, we'll make some star Wars toys. And then they became the biggest thing on the planet. It's amazing. Some
1: fun fact about that is um, they actually sold IOUs as Christmas gifts because yeah. what, was it Christmas nineteen seventy seven or seventy eight? It was right after the uh, A New Hope came out. They had yeah, it was no the Star
0: Wars, uh, like collector's box or something. Like yeah,
1: that. They, they literally had no idea how popular it would be, and it just took huh. off. And they had no way of producing as many toys as the demand was. And Christmas was coming up, and so they wanted to get toys in people's hands. So they literally sold IOUs because that was easier to produce. And so, yeah, I mean, that's that's out there. Um, that's yeah. utterly wild on how that was.
0: Yeah, and two words I would say that I learned about uh, for during this series. Uh, uh, sex Dungeon.
1: No We're explanation, no explanation needed. Yeah, Leave it there. Those
0: two, <laughs> that's i you That's a teaser. you got to watch it to find out what, what that means.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. I respect that. Um, and so I'm like uh, the shredder, as uh, Warren affectionately calls me. Um, I'm going to be host, your host for tonight. Um, I have been watching a couple things. Uh, firstly, I kind of want to go on to it as soon as I finish the second one. But the biggest thing I watched Dave Chappelle's uh, stand up part two, one. What do we? Uh, I guess we call it two point one. <laughs> there's two. There's one point one and one point two, and then the, now we're two yeah, point one and two point two versions of Chappelle. Yeah,
0: his. Equanimity.
1: Yeah, it's it, it, It's funny because he. He starts off and he tells you the punchline of his joke. And then it <laughs> proceeds to tell you something that you forget the punchline. And then he comes back to the punchline under the guise of him being too good at comedy. And it's funny to see someone be that self-aware at absolutely how great they're, at their craft they are. Like, usually I hate those types of people that are good at something and just know it. But he is so good at this and then knows it and also just, like, is still somehow in your face good at it. And
2: yeah, I want that. What well, I know from the Dave Chappelle skits. Uh, these last, like, I've only seen the most recent one, Equanimity. I haven't seen the part two, but all these new Netflix ones, I feel like show how big his ego is. <laughs> but like, he backs it up. He really is like a great comedian, and he really does, like you said, know the art behind the form of onstage comedy. Um, and it's a, it's a weird situation where I feel myself like rooting for him, regardless of his big ego that would otherwise be off putting.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate that about his uh, comedy is that he's. Uh, especially with these specials he's done, that um, he's telling his jokes the way he he wants to tell his jokes. And if someone gets upset or pissed off at it, he's like, whatever. This is what I make. This is what I do. You either like it or you don't. And I respect that a lot.
1: I think that's true with a lot of comedy. Like, if you watch comedy on YouTube, uh, I don't mean. YouTube comedians, but stuff that, like, established clubs has, yeah, because they're terrible, uh, have, like, uploaded. I think you see that a lot on the underground circuits of, like, them bombing on a joke and then being like, ah, I don't care. Ah, fuck you guys. <laughs> and, and they're just, like, kind of moving on with it afterwards. So it's it's interesting to see, like, a master at that their craft work on it. And I'm really excited for uh, two. Uh, I had the day off and I watched uh, yesterday and I had right and i played about 47 hours of the witcher and that was my snow day nice. when, yeah nice. it was i wish i watched more um, and i think M- mocha we're gonna talk about that in s- this is another teaser in the coming weeks on what else i finished that morning which yeah. uh, i almost killed myself for yeah uh, tune in for some future episode to find out what um but cool yeah uh, it's it's glad to have I'm glad to have you guys here so yeah so we're gonna go into our, <laughs> our spoiler section uh, of bright uh, it was directed by David Ayer, starring Will Smith uh, Joel Egerton uh, no- Naomi uh, Rapace uh, and then Lucy Fry I think that was like a early this is an early role for her career um, interested to hear on how she did um, so yeah join us after the break uh, we'll be breaking it down in both our wins and criticisms. And then I'll give you some lasting thoughts, okay?
0: See you soon. See ya. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to the Down and Front podcast.
0: Um,
1: We're here talking about the movie Bright, the Netflix original. Um, Spoiler alert to start off. Uh, It's already been picked up for a second one. So depending on how we feel about this uh, environment, we're we're getting more of it. So let's keep that in mind. Um, I guess let's talk about our wins first. Might as well start off on a positive note. Uh, Mocha, what did you like about this movie?
2: Um, well, first of all, I want to say that a lot of the criticism that's floating around the internet uh, right now regarding Blight, Bright is that it's really, really bad, and I don't think it's really, really bad. Um, my, my biggest win for it is that it did not live up to the negativity that I saw online. Um, that being said, it's not entirely amazing, but it had a lot of good stuff about it. Um, I thought the, the makeup effects and some of the more practical set design um, was really good. Um, really enjoyable without going too far over to the edge of like extreme like fantasy set design. Um, I feel like it blended what fantasy elements it had well into the gritty um, like like LA ghetto look that they had going on. Um, so yeah, that was really cool to see. Um, I also feel like we got some vintage Will Smith in this movie. Um, the weird thing about Will Smith is though is that. He is such a powerful actor and has done so many different things with his acting ability throughout his long career that vintage Will Smith isn't exactly, like, an amazing thing, but it was comforting. I felt like this was a comfort meal in terms of, like, Will Smith-esque movies. Um, but, uh, what should I call it? Yeah, I thought the acting overall was, was, was pretty good. I felt going into this movie that it might have been, like, like, a, like almost like a B-movie uh, level of capability, or rather... Uh, performance from all the different like actors in the writing Um, but it it impressed me in that sense
1: to to add on that I I agree with you I thought that um, it wasn't like Will Smith didn't break any new boundaries because you're right he's done a whole bunch of things over his career and I don't think he's broken any new boundaries with it but he he had that like return to I am legend form where I mean depending on what you want to say about that movie's how it ended. I think that's most people's biggest criticism about that. He was definitely good and heartfelt in that movie. And yeah. so I thought I felt it was like a strong... It wasn't a new character, but it was a strong return to form for that character. And I, re- I honestly really enjoyed Will Smith. I know, Bryland, I think you mentioned in our pre-production that you had some differing thoughts. If you want to chime in on that.
0: Yeah, um, so... Yeah, I, I felt like it was phoned in, his whole performance and everything. It just felt like um, he didn't want to really be there. That was kind of the sense I was getting. Do, you, do y'all do you feel like his performance is more like his right after Fresh Prince of Bel-Air Will Smith, who's doing Independence Day and in Men in Black, versus his later stuff? I mean, would y'all say he's more like that?
2: I feel like it had the vibe of that era of Will Smith, but not the energy um, which I think it's it's kind of fair because that was like what twenty five years ago, twenty years ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, he, he's not a twenty year old dude anymore. Yeah,
2: is... <laughs> he's not a spring chicken, so the energy level wasn't there. But I felt like it was like a consistently Will Smith from that era of performance. Yeah,
1: um, I I stand with the, you know, the I'm I am Legend. I think he wasn't. He had some of the quips from Bad Boys and uh, Independence Day, but he had a little bit more of the maturity from. Uh what is it uh, what's the the hope movie with his son
2: Oh uh In Pursuit of Happiness
1: Yeah it he had, he like the, the, the more maturity happened. from from those era films and I wouldn't say it this is like I would never say this is the grand culmination of Will Smith of an actor but it does feel like he has he's married kind of both sides of the quippy comedic role that he did in the like the past versus like the more Oscar bait movies that he's done in the future. Now, I don't think this movie's Oscar bait whatsoever. Don't like take that. But I think it marries a little bit more of those ages uh, than any other role I've seen him in the the past five years.
0: Yeah, I would say like the only parts where I enjoyed him was when he played off uh, the jokes that uh, Nick was telling, which were just like lame, like an orc trying to tell a human joke and he just falls super flat. I thought that was great. Yeah. Uh, but the rest of the times, I, I was kind of bummed that he was being just as much as an asshole and a dick as all the other cops. And that's that's why I, I wasn't really feeling his character at all. I didn't want him to be a white knight or superhero in this movie. I mean, we already had Hancock. Um, but I think it was just a little too much like him feeling like he's done this before
1: see i liked that i I really liked that where he, he was the he was the audience character right he was the character that you went in and like felt with the most and i think that we've all been put in those situations where like we get paired up with the weird kid from science class for a lab project and like you yeah, yeah, or we are the weird kid from science class that got paired up with other people. And so you you get put in those situations, and it was honestly, it was it was very connectable, where like, you don't want to necessarily do something with this person, but you have to, and so therefore you're gonna make the best out of that situation. And for me, that was, that was a very connectable experience and very easily like putting me in that situation, which is realistically what you want out of entertainment, right? Like we all we all see entertainment because we want to be part of it, you know.
0: Yeah. I, that I just I don't think it played well. That's I mean, fair, especially from Welma's side. I I'll, I'll say this, Ron, I definitely agree with you about him being a
2: dick in this movie. It was a little it caught me by surprise, but he was like legitimately mean <laughs> throughout a lot of this movie. Yeah. And I feel like it was a type of character that we haven't seen Will Smith play really in any of his films, um, considering most of his films are blockbusters where he's a hero. Um, a lot of times, like you said, he'll be quippy and he'll be really, uh, like, he'll have a knife for a tongue. That's not what I'm trying to say. A rapier's wit. Maybe that's it. Um, but, like, he'll be quippy but still fun and nice. Or he'll be an asshole but only because he's egotistical and, cause he like, and he can back it up. But in this movie, he was just a mean, he was mean. <laughs> it was kind of like kind of it's kind of took me by surprise. Um, but yeah, overall, I didn't mind uh, his performance that much. Though yeah, no, he didn't break any boundaries this time around. Um, another win I have for this for this film, and it's weird because this is much more of a um, business side win than really a merit of the film itself. But I think that this film was a smart move and pretty good execution on Netflix's part, no matter how it lands critically. Um, You know, Blue, you mentioned in the intro earlier that uh, this movie has already been renewed for a second film. Um, Regardless of the really low Rotten Tomatoes score, which I think is around 29%, this film was viewed over 11 million times in its first three days of release. Uh, That's a lot. To put that into perspective...
0: uh, It probably made more money than (laughs) The Last Jedi.
2: Possibly. I'm not really (laughs) sure. But um, but regardless, Stranger Things Season 2 had 15.8 million views and it's opening three days. That's a pretty close margin considering the hype you've already had for Stranger Things 2 going into it. And I feel like Bright kind of went under the radar until it arrived. Um, At least for me it did. So
1: so I just did a quick math. Not to cut you off. I did quick math on it. Uh, uh, Four minus two is two... Quick maths, um, man's not hot. Uh, and so if you extrapolate this out, eleven million times over a three-day weekend times, let's say an average of fifteen dollars for a ticket. You know, depending on where you are, depending on three D. But I'd say fifteen bucks is not unreasonable in this day and age. Part of me is crying because I remember going to see movies when they are six dollars. But um, <laughs> so that is an one hundred and sixty-five million dollar open. If you went. That's saw- solid. Which is solid. That's I think that uh, opening. What, what was it like, like Batman versus Superman, underachieved at 190. So you're about 30 million dollars away from a 600 million dollar movie. Somewhere in that. Oh, sorry. No, it was uh, it was Justice League. That was the 190 uh, million dollar movie. So you, you're looking at pretty good money from that amount of views. If you extrapolate using normal, like, averaged ticket prices.
0: Yeah, and especially yeah. if the production budget on this is not as high as others.
1: So, Brian, that's a good point. Uh, the budget on this apparently was about $90 million. So, again, taking from what our, our base, they've almost doubled their money, which is, yeah. you know, that's, that's good. That's really good for Netflix. That's... Mocha, I I had this to extrapolate on them, what you said. I think I've said extrapolate a couple times now. Um, so <laughs> no to yeah to go on with that, uh, I agree with you. I think that Netflix now has a true A list feature led movie in its hands, and they don't have you know a Marvel cast off, which you know Daredevil and the Punisher were as great as those are. Um, they don't have an Adam Sandler original you know with the the deal that he he you know went with they've got a legitimate a-list hollywood star in a movie that's a you know standard length that they've mass produced and gotten to what do you say 11 million people's eyeballs and that is a true testament to a business they're not making tv anymore they're not making made for tv movies they're making legitimate art films
2: Right, and at the end of the day, that's what this movie was. It was a proof of concept for Netflix from a corporate standpoint, and I think it executed amazingly on that uh, side, regardless of how it was critically receptive. Um, and I think, yeah, if you, that's an important aspect to keep in mind when we're thinking about this movie and we're thinking about what it means, because really this is just a foundational stone for what Netflix is going to plan to do moving forward as it continues its uh, battle with Disney and tries to find like, new ground in the streaming war.
1: Yeah, Mocha. So I think we've we've gotten most of the wins there. Um, Bryland, what did you what did you enjoy about this movie?
0: Uh, first and foremost, I think um, there's a lot of good uh, world building here. Uh, I thought they really took the idea of high fantasy and uh, modern urban landscape and merge them together and twisted the high fantasy just enough uh, where it kind of fit into that Los Angeles. Uh, um, urban uh, environment really well like uh, the whole idea of like fairies just being obnoxious assholes that just annoy the shit out of everybody I mean it's one thing like this movie is definitely trying to talk about like different races coming together to overcome an evil in a sense but also at the same time all those races hate fairies too and I think that's pretty cool to see like that little (laughs) twist on fairies just being obnoxious pests that are bugging people um, I thought it was really cool how the elves were, like, not really your traditional elves that are, like, full of wisdom. And they, they, even though they have that look down on you part, it's more of, like, them shopping a Rodeo Drive or someone with a lot of money, what they would do normally. And the, the elf part of it is that they're kind of more sensory compared to um, or show off their senses more than previous selves so like smelling the air and like you don't see what they smell but you know like their sensors are on another level compared to other races which i thought was really cool uh and they move just totally differently like getting someone like nomi Rapass to uh play an elf is perfect because i mean one she's uh scandinavian she's swedish uh but two uh she um just has like a lithe figure that moves very gracefully when needs to, but also moves like a dagger when she needs to as well, which I thought was really cool. Mm. Um, And also like um, Joel Edgerton as Nick, I thought uh, his orc character uh, was really cool being that fish out of water. And like a lot of the moments with Nick are like kind of being uncomfortable. And it is about um, how do you fit into a world that kind of doesn't want you? Uh, the jokes with, um, with Ward, uh, when he says he even makes a shootout feel weird. I mean, that was a great (laughs) How are your holes? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, that was played wonderfully. And I think, um, also just like his relationship to other orcs have being unblooded and not having done something heroic in the eyes of other orc tribes, uh, has been, um, is something that gives them motivation to be better than most, which is really cool. And I also, thought the nature, the, the take on wands was really cool as well. I thought the whole idea that wands are kind of this rare thing. It's not just everybody gets a wand from uh, Harry Potter or Gringotts or whatever. They're these like ancient relics that only certain people can wield. Uh, I thought it was a neat concept that I hope they get to they get to uh, build upon. In the next movie. So, first I was of all, surprised. First,
1: first of all, Harry I... Potter is a person, and, and and Gringotts is a bank. So, <laughs> n- <laughs> so neither of them were getting wands from you know those worlds weren't. Yeah, but you saw it. Go on, Mocha. Uh,
0: Dobby's. <laughs> no.
2: That's a house elf. Regarding the wands, I was surprised. I actually thought the film was going to go the route of, um, what's his name, Nick, Jacoby, Nick. yeah. yeah. I thought Nick was going to be the wand-wielder. Um, that would have been really cool, I think. Yeah, it just seemed like... It seemed like there was really... That this movie was leading up to Nick doing something that would prove to the to at least his partner that he was like worthy of respect. Um, and I didn't necessarily see that happen. Like He had his, his moments of bravery, and I think he earned his respect on a person-to-person level. But I really expect the movie to end with him being revived so that he could grab the wand and realize that he's like, the first orc bright. Um, I was surprised that they went with the Will Smith direction. I feel like maybe they only went that direction because it was Will Smith, <laughs> um, but I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I kind of wish—I kind of wish Nick got the one at the end. Yeah,
1: you know, I so, kind of wish that too. I think they did actually a very good job of having him slowly earn the respect of Will Smith's character throughout the entire night. You know, uh, this movie—I don't think we've said it—it it takes place over what twelve hours, seven hours. Very very something sh- like that. Short yeah. amount of time, and I think they do a really good job with the pacing on having him slowly throughout the night. Like you could see, he kills his first person kind of in that uh, secondary gun chase. Like it wasn't the first one; it was like right after that. Yeah. And you can see Will Smith turn around, and be like, "All right, cool. Like we're 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 here." Because Will Smith kills with impunity earlier in the film. You know he doesn't think twice it, where you could see that that was a major decision in Nick's uh, Nick's character, and so I, I you know I am fine with having Will Smith Ward um, as being the guy who wields the wand because I think Jacoby's uh, kind of arc through it was redeeming in itself and enjoyable to watch. It'd be cool. Both, it'd be cool if both of them were uh, brights and then they had to fight over the wand. Um, and they could just, like, play hot potato with it, you know? But I guess if you can only have one, uh, might as well be Steven Seagal. Um, yeah,
0: after watching again, like, um, their opening credits, they show, like, a great orc warrior as some of the uh, graffiti art. And, like, the orcs that shoot Nick actually referred to this warrior as being unblooded uh, until he actually, like, saved a lot of orcs or he saved orc civilization thousands of years ago. And then when they see Nick do what he does, the and see him resurrected, they think it's the second coming of this great orc warrior. And that's hmm. the reason why he gets blooded. Hmm.
2: In a somewhat weird scene where the gangbangers come up like right next to the cops that are securing the the area and just start cutting their hands open, screaming. Like I feel like that would have gotten the cops' attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Considering how much they hate or gangbangers. But uh but yeah, it was a cool scene, nonetheless. Yeah.
0: yeah also thought it was really cool. Like I didn't notice this the first time I saw it, but uh Will Smith's character has like a big back tattoo of it's hard to see what it is, but I think it's the Archangel Michael. Hmm. Hmm. It was basically like the sword of God. I didn't notice
1: that. yeah. That would make sense considering the revelation at the end. Yeah, but cool. Yeah. so as far as uh, as far as my wins, uh, we've talked about most of them, uh, as is tradition with whoever goes last with any of these categories. Um, I think the biggest thing for me though, was the social aspect of this movie. Um, I think this movie did an absolute fantastic job. Of talking about race relations without actually talking about race relations, um, when you I think that this and this is this might be me, but like I think the hardest part about having these conversations is that people get defensive over their own subgroup, and when you add one layer of abstraction to it, it makes it easier to portray a certain theme without sounding like me versus you because you can tell it's fantasy and so I think that portraying you know the orcs were clearly shown as some minority character you could flip it from primarily you know some sort of Spanish I mean in LA that's probably going to be Mexican Um, but like you could you could take any sort of non-white minority and then and make it like orcs and then you could take the white majority and also then flip it up to elves And you could
2: you could 1%. Oh,
1: totally. Yeah, totally. And so you could take those, those kind of social constructs, and then fully discuss them, like having, you know, having a minority as a police officer, and like the trials and tribulations that that person would go through, where they feel connected to a police officer, you know, and like the, the blue blood, apparently that they all bleed. And also having some sort of connections to their minority uh, social status, and and being able to portray that, you know, as uh, I I'm white. I don't know if you could tell by the video teasers that we you know we d- lips notwithstanding. But whenever as they you, say you're white everywhere but your lips. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but when you get in these situations, I think it's very common for people to become defensive if you say. Well, white people have white privilege. Of course, me as a white person would be like, well, no, like, there's poor white people. And like, and and the the gut reaction is to not is to defend kind of that little smaller group that you've been put in. And when you layer in an abstraction like a mythical beast, such as a fairy, such as a an orc, such as an elf, you can talk about these things in a way that's instantly relatable to your entire audience regardless of how they choose to identify rachel Do- dolezal's non again i watched the sir paul show and he has a very funny five minute bit about her
0: um <laughs> i mean it's definitely on the surface level i mean it's about social commentary and relates to what you're talking about um i just feel that Audiences probably expect more in their social commentary these days. And when you show like the best that a group of biased police officers what they can do to their orc, fellow orc police officer that they don't like at all is put a "kick me" sign on his back and then laugh at him as he walks down the hall. Um, you got to do better than that. You got to take more risks. No, you got to be a little the, bit tougher with the the social worst, commentary.
1: The <laughs> worst that they were gonna, the worst that they were gonna do in that was gonna shoot him. For being an orc. They were going to kill him. Just so that they could give him a hero's death. So it didn't piss off everyone in the public. But they could also get him off the police force. So you say the kick me side. But they lit- literally were going to murder yeah, there him. There was
0: that group that said like. Hey Ward you got to kill him. Yeah. I'll say, say this. Yeah that was a harrowing scene. But if we look at the other scenes. Where he's being ostracized. They're very. I mean juvenile.
2: Yeah, I'll say this For me, the the It's interesting, because Especially listening to you right now speak about it, Blewett, You've uh, kind of reminded me of something But uh, for me The whole allegory Of racial division And racial tension in America today Versus uh, racial division And tension between humans And orcs and elves and all that stuff in Bright Was a little too on the nose uh, For me, it was a con Um hmm. And it's an interesting thing, and, you know, listening to your side of it, there's something that I've been, I'm have been i reminded of, and this is going to get a bit deep, so if this is actually too much for the podcast, that's fine. But I find that in situations like, um, like, pretty much, like, in for, for movies like Bright, you're right, a layer of fantasy helps separate the self from the allegory that's being given and allows people to sort of internalize it and work with it. Um, but for myself, as a person of color, um, like, that's something that, like, those sort of allegories are necessary for me and a lot of people that I know because we've experienced and lived through similar things. And it's important for me to understand that like people need to break that, like break down those concepts in different ways. So for me, it's like a, a con that they were so on the nose about, well, you're an orc and I'm, I'm an orc racist and like, we're all racist against you or get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> like for me, that's a bit like too, too simplistic. It, was, but it was again, very on
0: the nose at times.
2: Yeah. But again, at the same time too, if, a movie like this and that allegory, that layer of fantasy, uh, fantasy allows somebody to actually come make that connection on their own. Then it's worthwhile and not really a bad thing. So, uh, so yeah, it's interesting hearing your perspective and your side on that. Yeah, but I feel like it's applied to a lot of things over this past year or so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's 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 interesting because for me again the layer of abstraction really it breaks it down to an on the nose point without being an acu- accusation. Because if you, if you say, like, oh, like, white cops are racist, immediately 74,000 barriers are going to go up. it would be like, no, we're not. But if you, if you can say, like, oh, these...
0: 74,000 Twitter trolls are going to RT that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, it, and they're all Russian-based bots. Um, so, yeah. they, like, but if you say, like, oh, hey, this human cop who, in this case is black, but there's also white cops. You know, it's like you, human, you say, like, oh, they're... They really hate this one person who's from a different, you know, quote unquote tribe, who looks a little different from us, and like who straddles the division between culture versus profession. Like, for me, and again, completely different different standpoints. Uh, I've always been white, I believe. Again, unless I pull out Rachel <laughs> yeah, Uh But, like, but you know, I, it could be transracial. Um, I think <laughs> that, like, for, for, for that perspective it made it easier to digest and i think that you're right in any concept that makes it easier for people to share like you know share that bridge with each other is a win in my my book and i don't i really don't think that in 25 years we're going to be looking at this movie and being like bright was like what broke down you know, the racial yeah. tensions in America. Like, I don't... In, like, I In, not
2: hip-hop videos in the future, they show, like, images of, like, Martin Luther King and then scenes from the movie
1: Bright. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like a white Australian playing an orc. <laughs> like, like, it's oh, not... Yeah. You know, especially considering that Brylin just saw Get Out and then most of America saw Get Out about a year ago. Uh, so, like, I, I think that, you know, if anything, that movie's gonna be, you know, there. But I think... I still think that the little bits that you can pepper in in what was mostly a mindless action movie. That movie started off with a gunfight about, what, half hour in, and then ended send gut said gut fight at, like, two hours. That movie was a two-hour movie, you know? It was like, all right, sure, fine, whatever. Um, you, to be able to pepper in something that was relatable, I found very encouraging. And I don't know who made that decision, whether it was... Airs or whoever the scriptwriter was, or Netflixed. Um, I liked it. It was good though.
0: Yeah. So and that reminded me of uh, one other thing I really like is there's a centaur cop in this movie.
1: Yeah, that was, there is. That was dope. Well, I was gonna say I was gonna say this. This that like kind of a win for me that like I they introduced the whole world and we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. But um, there was one scene where you saw a dragon flying over L.A. And it was just yeah, like... Yeah,
2: what's, what's that about? It was
1: like... But it, for me, as a huge Lord of the Rings fan, I was like, that's so freaking cool. Like, all, yeah. these, all these peoples are just kind of, like, living together. It's almost like Lord of the Rings happened, and then that was the Middle Ages. And then all of a sudden, we're now at the modern-day time of the same universe.
0: No.
1: <clears throat> and then this is what we're dealing with. And I thought that oh. was so cool that they just had all these, like, fantastical beasts... And they were all found in L.A.
2: Yeah, I will say this. When I said, um, what was that about regarding the dragon? I definitely meant it in a positive way. Like, I want to know what's going on with that dragon. I want him <laughs> in Bright 2. I want the dragon to be a Bright. And I want him to touch it with
0: his, like, grab it between his giant dragon claws and <laughs> cast does spells. Does he breathe fire? What does he breathe fire on? Does he go to La Brea Tar Pits? Does, he have,
1: to, does he have to report his his movements to the FAA? These Ooh, are the questions we need. How is he licensed? This,
0: this,
2: are there even planes in this in this version of L.A.? Maybe people ride dragons. Maybe that dragon was a domestic flight. <laughs> he could have been. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alright, so it, yeah.
1: I think we've gotten to the last second like, oh my god, I totally forgot about this. Uh, wind's out of the way. Um, so now time to get serious. Uh, let's talk about the cons that I guess we haven't discussed yet. Uh, we'll go in reverse order. So Bryland... Start us off. Uh,
0: yeah. So this movie, um, I felt like had a big problem, which was like it, it kind of doubled down on your standard cop movie tropes and kept with those the whole time. So it was really tough to get past that while watching it is that I've seen this a million times before and you're not showing it to me any better. And a big thing about that is how the cops are portrayed. So the cops are all assholes, and they're all uh, prejudiced towards the other races in the movie. Uh, And they also will turn on your back at the moment's notice. Case in point is when they tell Ward that they're going to take the wand, and you got to go out there and shoot Nick. And then uh, Ward does probably the coolest scene in the movie, which is like double-cross them and shoot all of them dead, which was awesome. Uh, but, um, I felt that it was, uh, really, um, it was really like a paint by numbers type of buddy cop movie. Um, I think it struggled to kind of determine, is this going to be like the preview of a, or the premiere of a new TV series versus, um, an actual theatrical release. And I think that's where Netflix kind of dropped the ball. The biggest was, they are used to making uh, these long 12-episode TV show series and and managing those. And when they make a feature-length movie, having it feel kind of like a backdoor pilot to a TV series, it's tough to lose that. It definitely feels like it's not a standalone product that it's actually going to have like a TV show or books to go along with it just because it sounds like an engrossing world that they're trying to build out of it. Hmm. Uh, um, and like, I mean, how Los Angeles is just a city of gangs and poor and the are walled off and no one can touch them. And I, I think it's, it's kind of overboard unless it was like a futuristic Los Angeles where, uh, shit's gotten even worse than what it is. I've never been to Los Angeles personally, so, uh, just like cr- yeah, I was going to say, I appreciate like, that's I exactly down down how it is. I've just run into like three or four gangs while I walked down the street. Um, And, uh, like, the bad guys, uh, for the most part, uh, looked like they walked out of Underworld. Um, Like, uh, Nomi Riposte's henchmen were just, like, mindless zombies that would just move around and just shoot things really quickly.
2: Wow, you're right. They do look like they're from the movie Underworld. Maybe that's why (laughs) I liked it so much. I love Underworld. That is a not-guilty-at-all pleasure for me. That,
1: this oh, yeah, movie, fantastic. it really did, it it stretched the divide between like, the Blade Runner really terrible, dis- uh, dystopian future, and like, the Matrix where everything was like, clean and cool. Like, the elves were like, that Matrix character where like, everything was suave and leather, and then like, the rest of it was just kind of grimy and
0: dirty, like, Mad Max-esque. It was grimy, but it was also kind of like comic book griminess like even the even the um, the graffiti looked like it was done by like Jim Lee or Rob Liefeld I felt at times uh, that it was just like too good to be on the side of a street wall Um, but um, I would say like I mean the biggest plot point that bugs me the most is there's absolutely no build up or sense of why Ward is a bright and what does it mean to actually be a Bright? Unless we're going to explore that in the future films and stuff. Uh, because there's nothing that's gonna, that makes him kind of stand out as being kind of a little different, except that he makes a couple choices that make him not a complete dick and just only mostly a dick.
2: <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it's only because he's Will Smith. Nick <laughs> Jacoby should have been the Bright in this
0: film. Yeah, absolutely, Ooh. and I mean, on my second viewing, seeing the back tattoo, or maybe the whole, the whole purpose of him getting shot at the very beginning, just taking the shotgun to the chest, is that supposed to give us an idea of like who survives a shotgun to the chest? It's got to be somebody special, uh,
2: or maybe getting shotgun <laughs> oh, no. to the chest is what <laughs> caused him to be a brain. Could have, uh, yeah, booting with the bright powers. On. Is a
0: magic shotgun, guys. Yeah, but uh, those are my 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 griefs with Bright.
1: All right, Mocha.
0: Yeah, so
2: for myself, I already talked a bit about my feelings about their approach towards the allegory. Um, I think something on a much lighter note that really let me down about this movie is that it shows us and introduces us to a very expansive world. It's a familiar world. It's one that's filled with a lot of keys and themes that we are that we recognize in our world today, um, but it's different. There are all these fantasy elements to it, and I feel like they made it really clear that there's an elite cast of elves that live in a nice area behind a wall, and then there is the ghettos of Los Angeles, uh, where like humans live the middle class lifestyle, and then. Um, you know, you have got your orcs who are at the bottom, lower cast of the pyramid. They made all that clear, but they didn't go show us enough about those spare elements to make any of the of it really stick or feel important. The vast majority of the movie took place in the ghettos. We never under, got to see much at all of the elf world or the elf side of town or the elf government or like elf like politics
0: or character significance at, as elves. So instead, we get learn about elves out. like shop. And like to ride, and drive fast cars.
2: <laughs> yeah, and instead we just got three rogue elves that just backflipped their way through the entire movie, and one elf that was like a CIA agent, but you didn't know if he was bad because they used a lot of like dark music and dark tones when they shot when they would show him in his intro scene. Um, I just we felt still, like we still
1: don't know, right? He seemed bad the whole movie, but never did like the bad guy twist.
0: I, I think, think he's that- more just a Fed is what he is. And he's going to be different than lo- uh, local police.
2: I still think, though, that elves inherently in this movie... I think the movie's trying to tell us that any elvish character is just a bad guy um, in the waiting because the elves are bad as a whole. Um, or at least selfish and very focused on their own self-interest. You know, they're the elite class of a society. They don't give a shit about anybody inherently. That's the way you become it, like a member of the elite cast. Um but at least that's the, that's the implication that I got from it. But still, we don't get to see any significance from the elf side at all. So those characters are just kind of there, and yeah, it's cool that three elves dressed all in black do backflips everywhere and are super strong. But like, we don't know anything about the rogue elf group that they that this like Splinter Cell has is derived from. We don't know anything about why there's a like why there's a rogue elf group. Um, fighting guerrilla warfare against like the main you know class cast, um, and obviously all that stuff is going to come in future Bright movies. But come on, I mean this is the first movie. Give us some real like world building here. Don't just show us that things exist. Build the world. Let us understand it and let us feel something meaningful when we see these different characters that are of different races. Um, hmm. the the orchid in the beginning, the one that. Uh, Nick eventually comes out to Ward as, as having been an innocent kid that he let go, and that's why you know he wasn't able to uh, catch the the bad guy. That was a weird MacGuffin. Um, the character, the kid, was only there so that later on we could have a brief moment, uh, like brief break in the tension, when the kid refuses to kill Nick um, because he was the one who saved his life. But then they go ahead and kill him anyway. So that kid's that kid's character was completely pointless. Like he didn't need to be in the movie, in my opinion. They could have explained to Ward, "Hey, I found a kid. I let him go, and that's like that's the person that I, that I helped that I helped escape escape during that flashback." And it would have been just as fine of a character building element for Nick's character and for him and Ward's relationship.
1: I I agree with you. They kept on like showing back to him before they explained who he was. Like, they kept on coming back and coming back. He was just, like, kind of awkwardly sitting there with a gun in his hand. I was like, why are they showing this orc? There's plenty of more interesting, like, gangster orcs to show. (laughs) And you're right, it didn't pay off because they just wasted them anyways. It was like, all right, well, whatever.
2: Yeah, it didn't mean anything. And that's weird because that took out a chunk, like, a couple minutes of the movie that could have been used for any number of other things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I just took it as part of, like um the whole orc um culture and it's like yeah when he goes to his dad and says like hey i can't shoot this guy this guy saved my life and his dad's like yeah he completely understands but you know what orcs still gotta do what orcs still gotta do (laughs) and i mean i think that's what it was kind of like it's like yeah they're they're uh they want to show like even though they live in the so-called dregs of society they're just i mean they're going they're going to be warlike but they're also going to be uh understanding and conscientious about how they carry out their executions
2: <laughs> yeah i can see i can see that breakdown for it but i still think that it could have been executed in just a more like smooth way or a more meaningful way i don't know no, yeah. I mean it it's seemed... definitely a, very
0: on the nose Like everything in this movie Yeah
2: yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> This movie was just like one game of, of whack-a-mole Where the moles never went down So you just kind of hit them at your leisure <laughs> Like hit all the points um, But yeah that aside The special effects So I mentioned earlier during my wins section About how I thought the practical effects And the makeup art um, art was really good and As well as the set design But I feel like the actual special effects Like the CGI felt weirdly out of place at times I don't know. Like, it's hard to pinpoint the exact moments. For me, one of them was like the wands. The wands just like looked, and like the way the wands interacted with the world just kind of looked way, way unrealistic. And I know it's fantasy, and it's like like (laughs) there's nothing real to compare it to. But I don't know. It just didn't match the surrounding feel of the movie that had been built up. The, The whole movie was really gritty, and was really practical in its filming. So any moment where, like, the wand glowed or something like that, it just kind of looked a bit silly for me. Uh, the fairy as well. The fairy, when you got a close-up look at it, looked, like, really CGI fake. Um, it was cool when it was flitting around the screen, but, you know, when Will Smith knocks it into the ground, as well as at the very end when the fairy flies to the screen right before the credits roll, um, I was a, it was just way too aware that this was just, like, some, some CGI model creature floating around.
0: So, yeah, it's definitely an overly designed character. Um, I actually like the wands. I think it was pretty cool how the, like, the energy kind of dripped off of them as people were cool. holding them. I okay. thought that I, was pretty neat. I
1: completely agree with Brown. I thought that was like <laughs> a unique twist to a magic wand that we haven't seen before.
2: Now, that being said, I thought that the effects of the wands, or rather the effects that the wand had on its environment, were cool. I loved the look of the um, incinerated bodies. That were just kind of yeah. like flowing from their core. Mm-hmm. I love the look of the elf that was cursed by the wand or like attacked in whatever way, whose like lower torso was blasted off, and she had these like filigree metal kind of like glowing wings coming out of her. Um, it was just really messy and gross, and when you realize that it was because of uh, due to the inexperience of the wand wielder, it's kind of horrific um, yeah. in a really traumatizing way. What could happen to somebody who's on the wrong on the receipt on the wrong end of an inexperienced wand user like Ward? Uh, for instance but upright too but yeah so I thought all the effects that it had on its environment were really cool Um, but I don't know I felt like any of the moments where the the lights were really shining bright just stuck out as weird for me since the rest of the movie was so dark and gritty
1: I, I have to say I agree with you that like the a lot of the practical effects looked like big budget Hollywood movie and then there was that I think I said this before that it was a good it was a good movie to stay on the couch and watch. That I don't know if I necessarily would have liked it as well if I was sitting in a theater watching it there. And CGI is one of the hugest things on that, that like it definitely if I saw that on a fifteen foot screen, probably would have been like, that's fake. That's really <laughs> fake. And, and so, I like the way the, the wand, you know, came into the environment, but, like, you're right. Every time they showed an effect of the wand, they'd, like, cut away. You know, they couldn't show the actual blast of it, because they, they clearly just didn't have the budget to do so.
2: Yeah, and I, I agree with what you said, Mike, um, that this movie on a full, on a big screen, like, in thea- big screen theatrical production, would not have looked as good, I think, um, and I, and... I think that's something that Netflix needs to really keep in mind moving forward because I guarantee you, one of their ultimate goals is to eventually make a theatrical release film. Um, But they also need to keep in mind that a lot of their viewers have like four screen TV or 4K TVs. And I don't know, maybe put a little more effort into the tiny details when it comes to CGI um, and their design work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Proof proof of concept, not where it's going to be.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Um, And finally, I think this film honestly, took itself a little too seriously at times. Um, I feel like the movie went out of its way early on to say, hey, this is Will Smith, but it's mean Will Smith, and it's slightly racist Will Smith, even though he's trying to be better, but he's still a little racist. And it kind of didn't let go of that (laughs) throughout it. And so, whereas in similar movies from the past, you know, you would see more, where Will Smith was in a similar role, you would see more levity from him, uh, because that's an actual skill that he has as an actor. He can make any line funny. Um, and I feel like this movie really did like wanted to stray away from that, which felt weird because Joel Edgerton's character was like forty percent of his on-screen time was as uh, comic relief. No. Yeah. and I just don't see, understand why they didn't why understand why they didn't leverage Will Smith's talents for for that as well. Um, so yeah, I think it kind of just took itself a little too seriously. That may change in Bright Two. Um, and Yeah, ultimately, I feel like this film felt kind of like a YA novel that was adapted to film that never mm. had a novel in the first place to be adapted from. Right. Um, which is kind of a weird situation because I feel like if this film was a book and I saw this film, I would go, okay, I kind of want to read the book and see what the book was like. But I don't have that to go back to. I just have this film and like whatever Bright 2 is. And it's weird because it, it, it feels like it should have been a YA well, and novel they,
1: they art it up too. Like YA is what, 15, 16 Whereas Something they like I mean they were Dropping hard F-bombs Left and right Where you know That's yeah. traditionally
0: Going to be Adult adult There were some um, Nudities in this movie too
2: Yeah It was YA With curse words and boobs um, <laughs> But always was a feel that Which sounds it like there.
1: The perfect YA title ever Like that sounds like That boobs. would tell Sell so many not, Like books I would buy yeah.
0: it a book Yeah I'd buy it Hide it from my parents <laughs> Put it under my bed <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I think that, that pretty much sums up the issues I had with this film.
1: That's fair. I mean, those those are definitely good issues. Uh, we agreed on a lot of them, except for the ones we disagreed on. Um... <laughs>
2: He's not wrong, folks. He's not <laughs> no,
1: wrong. <laughs> no, So I would say the only the only thing I really have to throw in that I haven't tossed into the ring already is um, to me the ending felt inconsequential. Like, they almost made a movie with no... Like, had no payoff. Like, you killed... You killed the orc, Jacoby, once. You hung him a second time, so he should have died then. And then... Will Smith had, like, the comeback story, but he didn't have that ultimate hero's redemption where, like, usually they die. Like, normally in these types of stories, like, he dies trying to save Jacoby, so, like, that's another kind of one. And then... Tika, who I loved her portrayal. By the way, I don't think we talked about this in the wins, but
2: oh, it was very Fifth Element.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was she was like an oddball character, but like I liked it. Uh, She was supposedly gone, gone, and then she kind of like walks through the crowd at the end to like, oh, I'm not, I'm not gone. Like for me, it's like kill one of them, you know, like have. Have an actual threat to this environment, where if you're a good guy, you might be able to die. And I understand you're trying to set up a world that you're going to make four or five more of these movies. You know, like, I get that. You're banking on these three people carrying you through the rest of the franchise. But to me, it, it like, you almost, if you're going to, if you're going to have all of them survive, don't fake kill them that many times. You know, yeah. like, like, <laughs> like, 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 don't do it as many times and then it's more believable or if you do actually have it pay off and have one of them go down for the count and don't bring them up again
2: you're right I hadn't considered that but each main character has a fake death throughout the movie Will Smith starts with one when he gets shot in the face with a shotgun um, and then uh, Nick has his where he gets shot through the chest with a rifle and then uh, Chicken Tikka Masala has hers when she gets blown up <laughs> Yeah, by the wand
0: (laughs) or whatever. Well, she didn't get blown up. Uh, Layla got blown up, and Tika says that she's fading, and she just fades into the water.
2: You're right. Yeah, you're right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but yes, Tika Masala. (laughs) (laughs) But so it's still like you didn't,
1: you didn't get that payoff of losing a main character, who, which you know, the way they shot this movie, being a chase. You were with all three of them pretty much the entire movie, you know, in yeah. some capacity. And so there, there just wasn't, like, a, a brevity to the situation where, like, Ugh. you felt that, oh, my God, one of these guys can go down at any point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ward and Nick go back to being cops, and the feds have the wand.
2: Yeah, and they cool. have their weird, like, uh, Star thing. Wars Episode four New Hope ending where they stand up and receive their medals.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and a Wookiee <laughs> was there screaming. It's all the same. <laughs> but yeah, that I think
2: was. Walking through uh, the crowd was definitely Anakin showing up as a Force ghost in Episode Three.
1: <laughs> I did, I did remember seeing that in Bright. But yeah, that was a, you know that was a big thing, and then you know I had some other criticisms, but we've we've hashed them out uh, throughout the rest of this podcast. So I guess you know we've talked about our wins, our criticisms. We might as well go into our final thoughts, because I think the people demand to hear what we thought about Bright. So... They really are. They were asking about it on the Twitter on on the InstaFace. Um, really looking for it. So I guess, you know, uh, I'll go first because I'm hosting it. Um, for me, I thought that it fit the paradigm of a modern film very well. It had a little bit of social commentary, where a whole bunch of, like, CGI effects and a little bit of a fantastical element that fits completely in with, like, the whole superhero kick that we're going with. Um, I thought that it was a great, like, proof of concept for Netflix. Um, That being said, it was a, like, highly flawed movie. Um, I would still recommend seeing it, because I think that they're going to take... I trust them, the people involved in this film, and the company backing them to take this into very cool places, And so I think that when Bright 2 hits, I think that'll be a very good movie, and I think you will need to have seen the first one to do it. Um, Mocha, what do you think? I
2: think that Bright is a pretty pretty typical cookie-cutter blockbuster, but I think it's notable that it succeeded as a cookie-cutter blockbuster. Um, This movie had a lot of opportunity to make a sharp left-hand turn into like B, B-Movieville and it really didn't it stuck on its track and gave us a movie that I could have I would not have been surprised to see show up in theaters um, Blue, and as you mentioned earlier it's a solid proof of concept for Netflix as a production studio and it leaves me very hopeful for what Netflix's future is in that regard um, so yeah check it out if you have Netflix it's not going to cost you anything you're already paying 10 bucks a month
1: or your parents <laughs> Or girlfriend slash boyfriend slash person
2: so, of interest. Some of us are all alone, blew it, and we have to pay for our Netflix. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't. I feel like there's like six Netflix accounts out there, and they're just all getting shared. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brad, what are you, what are your lasting thoughts?
0: Um, this is a um, very high budget uh, TV movie, and it felt like a TV movie, um, and at times it's as bad as a TV movie. Uh, but I there's a lot of good um, cool world stuff that can be built upon uh, and create a new uh, fiction series that people enjoy. I just hope that they definitely uh, take a lot more care with the next time.
1: Interesting. Cool. So I think that to summarize we all didn't hate it and also think that it's optimistic towards the future. Yeah, I just want a theme. lot more out of it. Yeah, I, think, I think most people think that like, it was lacking, but a very interesting concept. We've been the Downfront Podcast. Uh, you've been the audience. Uh, let's go around the, to- the horn and kind of find out where we can find everyone else. Uh, Brian, why don't you start us off?
0: Uh, you can find me practicing my uh, spell words on Twitter with my wand, uh, like words like Expelliarmus and Leviosa. Uh at Twitter at Bryland B R I L U N D. Uh I also am on Instagram where I'll put up many movie reviews. Uh from time to time. I got one on there for Bright. Uh it's I am Bryland. And I am the host of the Games Cast. It's twitch.tv slash down podcast. Uh today we started playing through near automata and we'll have our uh VOD of that up very soon. So if you didn't catch it, you'll be able to see it later.
1: Cool. Moga?
2: Yeah. You all can find me on Twitter, at MochaMikeLI, where I tweet super orc racist shit all the time. It's not for kids. (laughs) Um, uh, It is at MochaMikeLI, as the Lord intended. Unfortunately, it's not at MochaMike, because the person who holds that account is a crooked cop, and even though I reported his account, um, he's working the system to screw me out of ever having it. So, by the time being, it's...
1: I thought you were gonna say he was a uh, he was around with the Dark Lord originally rose two thousand years
2: ago. Ooh, that would have been good. That would have been good. Um, oh well, you live, you learn. <laughs> Wait a minute, are, are
0: they trying to say the Dark Lord is Jesus? Oh, if the Dark Lord is Gandhi oh. <laughs> or Gandhi? <laughs> right, too spoiled right here. for
2: you. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Anyway, you can also find me on Instagram Instagram.com slash Mike where I post a lot of my photography work um, Let me know what you think there um, As well as check me out on Medium Medium.com slash at Mocha where I post long form reviews of the films we talk about here
1: Sweeto And uh, I'm Mike uh, You can find us at My News uh, Music um, shredding it up uh, More importantly though Because I'm the host and I have to take over host responsibilities. You can check us out at uh, the podcast app for iOS. You can also, if you're on Android, check us out at Stitcher. Um, I don't know if that's a website or an application because I'm terrible at technology, uh, ironically speaking. Um, You can check us out on Instagram and Twitter and the uh, Facebook Um, If you want, we also just launched about two hours ago, because this podcast took about two hours to record, uh, a SoundCloud account. So you should be able to go through, find the music that we recorded for the intros, and then download it if you want, so that you can give us views in that manner too. Uh,
2: Guys, check out that SoundCloud. Um, I don't know if any of the listeners currently are aware of this, but Mike Blewett is a super talented music maker and makes music for us that I always think are is completely impossible because I don't have that skill set and then he whips it out like it's no big thing. Uh so definitely check out that SoundCloud, there's some cool stuff there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, solid. And also, like I said in the wrap up, if you have any requests for movies and then their soundtracks for us to emulate, um, definitely definitely let it let us know. I'm always looking for a good challenge. Um uh, I think we got most of those things in, except for email address. Uh, it's either Jesse Rand plays with his magic wand, or
2: <laughs> actually, uh, I think the other one is Jesse's shaved teeth at <laughs> whitemail <now. laughs>
1: Or Jesse Rand is a crooked cop. <laughs> like, I don't know.
0: I, don't know. <laughs> I had an,
1: I had another one, it's
0: but.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jesse Rand's a at. <laughs> hot at Jesse
1: Rand equals Ajat Pai um, so uh, we thank you we've been the Downfront front podcast uh, that one was too mean I'm sorry I love you Jesse um, we've been the downfront podcast please join us uh, we've got a couple great reviews coming up in the next couple months um, and including the whole rest of 2018 uh, I hope everyone had a happy new year and uh, much successes. Thank you. Bye bye.
2: Bye. Yes. yes.